Welcome to another Cyreadable podcast. It's Friday morning and uh, here in Florida where I am, uh, it's kind of overcast, but really pleasant outside. In fact, these last few days have been pretty awesome. But anyway, so the Cyberitaville podcast is where we uh, discuss, dissect and devour anything cybersecurity and also really technology. Like we love to look at sort of the latest technology stuff. I am Steve Gravdal and with me in a virtual studio is uh, Gina Beckman, my trusty sidekick. And uh, she's also the editor of the podcast, so she's definitely more than just a sidekick. Uh, but occasionally she kicks me in the side, but virtually anyway. All right. Um, so today um, we're going to talk about counterhacking, or you could call it cyber vigilantism or whatever. One other thing I'd like to say is please share. We don't uh, advertise or publicize or do anything really to commercialize the podcast. The way we get out there and the way we increase our viewership is through you guys. So share if you like it, uh, comment uh, comment if you don't like it so that we can get better. Uh, we're really here for you. And, and this is kind of a you know a little bit of a look in, into us and how we think about stuff, but hopefully it's also uh, useful to you and you get something uh, out of it. So, all right, counterhacking, uh, cyber vigilantism. Why this is kind of interesting is it's come up with these different economic conferences. So in Davos, uh, you know, this is on the topic. I, I, you know, I don't know when cybersecurity has really been that high in the in the list of topics in those conferences. You know, between the the big economic powers of the world, but in this last uh, Davos conference, you know, the the leaders are are basically putting cybersecurity, at, you know, on the agenda, center stage. And one of the things um, that is happening is this attempt, I think, at getting a, a public sector, private um, uh, sector, uh, you know, uh, collaboration or partnership, if you will, to do essentially counter hacking, meaning attacking some of the bad guys or or whatnot. Uh, for anyone that's been in, around in the industry for a while, you might recall that when these questions came up at, let's say, security conferences, if you've ever been to a security conference with, let's say, someone legal there or the FBI or or so on and so forth. This is one of those questions that you often hear about is like, is it okay to attack, you know, an attacker? And typically back, you know, let's say 10, 15 years, maybe even 20 years, um, the advice was no, that there's too much liability. Um, you know, if you hack the wrong guy and so on and so forth, then somewhere maybe about the mid midpoint of that time frame, I'd say, you know, 10-ish plus years ago, uh, you probably heard stories about what the FBI was doing and some of our agencies were doing in terms of kind of counter hacking or, or or different things that the government was sort of actively doing. And of course, we've learned more about what, what some of these three-letter agencies and secret agencies are doing, NSA, CIA, in terms of, you know, gathering their own uh, potential zero-day exploits and whatnot so that they can do espionage on, on the nation's adversaries. Um, but it kind of gets a little bit interesting there. Anyway, so with the most recent thing, we're now being sort of asked to to figure out this partnership where where we're going to go after those adversaries, which I think is really, really interesting. So um, the other thing I thought would be interesting is to sort of look at the history of counter hacking or cyber vigilantism. And for me, anyway, I might be wrong. There might be something you know prior to this. Actually, there probably is now that I think about it. There are some stories of some counter hacks going way, way back to, to maybe one of the first sort of it, hacking stories of the internet. But but the one that I think is the most interesting is kind of comes from the 90s. 
the the scam back then that was so popular was the Nigerian prince scam. You still see it today. It's it's kind of amazing that these things still exist and that there are people that are still fooled about it. But it generally went something like this. Someone contacts you. They've got all this money locked up and all they need is your help uh, to get it unlocked. And then you're going to get, you know, 10% of these many millions or something like that as a reward. All they need is some account information. So if you ever got one of those emails um, or you've heard of them or you Google them, you'll find a lot of information about them. Well, there was a group, I want to say it was the late 90s, maybe it was early 2000s, that sort of made it their job, if you will, to to just waste their time and engage with them, you know, as if they were a naive, you know, a willing participant in this scheme. And they just kind of, you know, dragged it out. Personally, I've done some of the same stuff when I get spam calls. Like I'll often just answer the call and and just let it sit there. Or I used to have a little bot that would answer it and and you know say you know something in a broken English or Russian or you know something stupid or like ah, I can't hear you whatever you know you might have played with some of these things so so it's kind of a a a way of wasting their time making you know the the numbers game that it is less useful um so anyway uh, that's one of the one of the the sort of historical you know counter hacks that I can think of anyway there are probably others out there as well and then I think Gina, you had an example of of kind of this this uh, wasting of the bad guy's time. I think, right? So there are a couple of guys on TikTok, a couple of accounts that um, are really popular and do um, you know revenge on scammers. They're called um, the Kit Boga Show and Scammer Payback are two that I watch, and. These scammers will call them. And one of them uses like a grandma filter on, on his voice. So he's talking like <laughs> yeah. this. And, and they've actually taken control of the scammers' laptops and cleared up like thousands of documents. And the scammers seeing it in, in real time. It's crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. It's yeah. awesome. One of my computer mentors uh, from the Sans Institute many, many years ago, Brent something, I can't even remember his name. But he was uh, he was a pretty rad dude on the keyboard, and and he did this sometimes. You know, really with spammers back then, it wasn't so much hackers, but uh, he got annoyed with these these different spammers, and so he would essentially sort of counterhack them and print out on their printer a message that says, you know, stop or else, and uh, and he said the the you know the surprises that you got you know, or the, the the stunned silence and other things that you got from some of these guys when when they're like, what's going on now? Um, so so let's talk about some of the motivations why we might want to do any sort of uh, cyber vigilantism or counter hacking or whatever. Um, and there are even some tools out there that built kind of this concept into the tools. We might get to those as well. But so why do we do this? You know, it's kind of offense, right? It's not defense, it's offense. I think one of the the bigger motivations is if you keep them busy, if you uh, like with the Nigerian sort of anti-Nigerian prince, uh, you know, group, if you will, it was like keep them busy and they won't, you know, be harassing someone else. And of course, there's no direct benefit to the people doing that. And and I'd probably say in the cyber vigilantism, there probably isn't an immediate reward other than potential crowing rights or something like that that the the, the activists, if you will, you know, get out of it. But uh, if you harass them and slow them down, you know, it just reduces their ability to, you know, harm someone else. So it's kind of doing a little bit of good, I guess. And your your TikTok guys, I mean, 
you know, they're getting, they're getting, uh, you know, they're becoming influencers and getting views. And so they could actually monetize it because they're putting it on TikTok, but they probably started with it just sort of for fun. And then sometimes it's fun to talk about these things and show what you can do. The other thing, and this is, this is maybe a, maybe conjecture more than anything. And that is that, you know, these guys aren't necessarily very good at security themselves. Some, some are, I definitely know some guys that uh, are, you know, super paranoid, uh, maybe because they know how, uh, uh, how easy it is to do things. But uh, to some degree, uh, you know, I would expect that probably not everyone out there is particularly good. They're kind of, they're offensive, they're trying to get stuff, and they're not necessarily doing all the patching and protecting that they might do. And also, you know, when you kind of get into someone's environment where you're actively engaging, you kind of expose yourself. You know, the analogy, I guess, is, you know, in a battlefield scenario, you know, when you're attacking, you also get yourself exposed. There is a, there is a risk to doing that as opposed to sort of staying behind something, staying defensive. Um, there are probably quite a few different uh, interesting ways that you could uh, sort of counter hack, uh, deploy payloads, you know, into the command and control, for example on the on the side of the attackers so so again part of the reason is harassing them slowing them down so on and so forth um in some cases blowing them up you know like getting into to the the hacker let's say group slash organizations and uh like these guys did destroy stuff so that uh you know either it slows them down or it maybe gets them uh to to make other decisions in some cases i think it just pisses them off i don't know that it matters necessarily I question whether or not this uh, this call it you know private public collaboration or partnership will really go anywhere. I think I think that's a commendable idea. I question whether or not much is going to happen with it. Um, if there isn't a profit motive, if you will, on the part of the private sector, it will be really hard for the private sector to provide any real resources toward this. Uh, there might be staff within these companies that are interested in doing it, but I don't really see companies putting resources into it. And there's definitely a liability, probably a liability that's fear-based more than anything else. So for example, if you're a company and you counter hack, you can just imagine that some of these different, you know, groups out there would, you know, make, make a point of targeting you specifically. There's so many groups that we're going to do a podcast probably in the near future on these different cyber criminal groups out there. Um, because they have such funny names, some of them, you know, Bronze Starlight or Exotic Lily, you know, uh, Shathak or, you know, one of the older ones is Cozy Bear or APT29. But but there's several others. And, you know, if you piss some of those groups off, um, they're going to attack you and they're they're going to maybe make an example of you. So that's one of the things that I think will be a challenge for this quote unquote activity. But um, there might be means to do it. And then the other thing I think will be really important for this to be successful, and that's that the government actually put some real uh, thought, structure, planning into it, uh, whether it's uh, through incentives or or something like that, or information sharing or something. There, there has to be something that the government does other than just kind of you know put up a big title or, or put up a website or something like that, but where they either put resources or training or... Uh, create an environment or something like that where where people you know can can uh, engage and get something in return for it. So good idea, but I, I question how far it'll get. Hopefully, I'm wrong, and uh, that's super cool. I just uh, I think that you know some of these things are just they don't really launch very well. 
We've seen this also in the past with these sort of public-private sector uh, information sharing uh, attempts where there's a little bit of sort of stuff going on. There's a little bit of information sharing, but uh, you know, there's there's not a lot of great examples out there of huge enlightenments or huge information sharing or anything like that that I'm aware of. Again, put stuff in the comments. Uh, if you if you find that I'm just smoking crack here or blowing smoke out my uh, rear end, please feel free to put it in the comments and maybe we'll go re- revisit that and look some stuff up. But Steve, let me mention something. Yeah. So one of the things that to me, what these like vigilantes and these different people that can do this shows us that there's a capability to do it. And like you mentioned, you know, hopefully the government will kind of come up with a with a strategy or a plan on how to do it, because these guys that are sitting, you know, in, you know, a little corner office in their in their house can break through to these people and are calling them out by name and things like that. Um, it just shows that that there is a capability to, to thwart it, but you just need the strategy and the plan to do it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think there'll be, I think there will be like these, you know, publicized, well publicized cases. Like um, we were talking about this just last week or earlier this week about the 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 guy that was he lived, I guess, in his parents' basement, and he got hit by some Korean hackers or something. I forget this happened. Four or five years ago, maybe. I think it was Oklahoma, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. But basically, the guy got pissed off and and obviously had some talent, and he counterhacked these guys. Turned out he sort of shut down Korea for I don't know how long it was, maybe a week or so. Um, now you can't typically shut down a country, but Korea has very few IP addresses, so it's not too hard to do. And 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 who knows if it was a very sophisticated attack? It's been too long since I read that story. To remember much i think it might have been denial of service i don't know but um you know it's I, I think you'll have these ad hoc instances of cyber vigilantism um some funny stories the to make this an effective you know adversarial uh you know offensive tool i think it needs a lot of structure and and things of that nature and so far not sure you know that we're seeing um that level uh if you will of organization so let me just I'm going to antism. I'm going to see what we have here just by doing some searches, see what the Google comes up with. Yeah, so they say here it originated in the early 2000s. Again, I think we can go back to stories that even go further back, but that's kind of what I remember as well. Um, yeah, some stories of hazarding, taking justice into your own hands. It's all the same usual stuff. And I think these are the hurdles that your corporate lawyers are going to, you know, kind of pin their case on and say there's too much risk for us. We can't do this, yada, 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 yada. On the other hand, I think you could have individual actors. So you could kind of make a, um, almost like a marketplace, if you will, sort of like the various um, bug bounty or hacking bounty type systems that have been set up often by vendors where people can sort of, you know, individuals can contribute, go in and, and report you know, this, that, or the other, there might be some benefit. Like if, if someone set that up, if the government or one government sets up a kind of a marketplace where individual talented, you know, hackers, ethical hackers, if you will, enter into this space and sort of report on what they find, or kind of like you say, you know, kind of get some of these names out there. That could be interesting. I could see just uh, so many different ways that it could be abused as well. You know, like one hacking group, 
you know, could uh, essentially out another that happens to be a rival. You know, we see this kind of stuff in the in the analog uh, situation of, you know, crime groups, right? Uh, these different gangs operating, whether it's drug trafficking or whatnot, you know, you have these, you know, turf wars, right? And I think you could have a virtual turf war, you know, depending on how, whatever this platform or whatever the prize is or whatever the, the thing is, you know, which for for us as as potential targets, wouldn't necessarily hurt, but I think it would potentially end up with liabilities and stuff. Again, if you counterhack and you kind of out or dox uh, the wrong person, you know, there's liability with that at the individual level. It's hard to see how you can be really protected uh, for this kind of stuff. It might be one of those things that we want to basically say, this is what the government can do, you know, with their secret service and and kind of do more of that and say, you know, it's a, it's a trade-off, there's a risk with it, but maybe that's something that we feel is acceptable. And, and particularly if we don't know everything that they're doing, you know, we could probably swallow it a little bit easier than if we knew exactly what they were doing. So any, it's kind of interesting stuff. Um, what else did we want to talk about on that? Let's see. You know, what, one of the things we kind of made some notes here and topics to talk about AI, you know, how does AI play into this? <laughs> AI plays into everything, but it might be that you, uh, you leverage AI kind of as a honeypot, if you will. So so if you um, if you have some programming, if you will, that responds like a particular device, and and you know you kind of put all these honeypot targets out there, uh, you know maybe you're reducing the potential actual attack surface for these uh, hackers, uh, these criminal you know people by by putting out something that sits there with AI behind it, and uh, and that you know behaves and acts accordingly. So some programming to do there. Uh, we built a system a few years ago. We called it, uh, what did we call it? I have to think now. Shoot, it'll come to me. But uh, we built a system that was basically like a honeypot and a virtual honeypot in the sense that we could uh, manage the, the the system and change you know what it looked like on the network. So the idea is you spring these, you put all these honeypots out in your network. And if someone gets into your network, and you get any hits on those devices, you know there's something going on in your network because no other real devices, um, you know, talk to them or try to connect to them or anything like that. So anything, any hit uh, on any of those devices would be something that needed investigation. And the same concept, I think, you could essentially use in this environment here. So if you if you vastly expand the the kind of the marketplace of things, um, if you will, or the attack surface, the potential let's say target market for the for the cyber criminals, then they're going to waste time for one. And then you also can detect what they're doing and whatnot with these uh, these different, you know, whether they look like networks or look like individuals or look like, you know, uh, Apple watches or, uh, you know, Samsung watches or phones, whatever it is, you could you could certainly build different things that on the back and has some dynamic stuff, you know, leveraging AI that uh, makes makes the attacker waste time or give up their give up their techniques for example you can observe all this sort of stuff and uh, and look at examples so it improves our uh, defensive capabilities you know after it but anyway so that's uh that's that that's kind of I don't know if there's anything else that we wanted to really cover in this one I think that kind of covers it well one thing I would say though is that when you talk about the vigilanteism or the AI, whatever it is, or the new 
strategy that's coming out or that came out yesterday from the U.S. government, something's got to give. I mean, there has to be something. We can't just be, you know, sticking our, our fingers in the dam because I, I read a stat that um, the damage from global cybercrime is going to hit $10.5 trillion by 2025. It's $8 trillion this year. I mean, that's higher than the budgets or, or GNPs of, of huge countries. It's just remarkable and, and jaw-dropping Yeah, how much money is being filtered and what's at stake on such a global level. Yeah, this reminds me kind of of the, you know, the war on methamphetamine as well that and and maybe it's not exactly the same but but the the concept anyway is sort of there and it's like it's become such a big market that there's no way to stop it right now and and maybe that's true in many of these different sort of crime syndicate type environments where you look at sort of the drug trade uh you know from south america you know largely through mexico but anyway into the united states it's such a big industry that there's it's very hard to uh, stop it or do anything other than you know kind of constantly battle it. And I think, you know, this is such a lucrative industry. There's so many different opportunities that make it possible for these cyber criminals to, to operate. And, and, you know, for, for many of these organizations, it's really just a business. It's another business. It just happens to be something we think of as unethical and they think of as opportunity. It is a business. Uh, If you don't mind me interrupting, like some of those videos that I, that I've seen on TikTok, they are call centers. Because they have video of the call center yeah. with the guy talking to them. And they're call yeah. centers. With, yes. Just like any call center. Just like, you know, AT&T or whatever. It's a call center. Yes. The days of the days of hacking for fun, uh, you know, and profit, I think are, are, day, uh, are gone. There there was a time in the, in the late 90s and, and early 2000s, we talked about script kitty hackers. There are people out there that would maybe qualify in terms of skill and knowledge as a script kitty but the i would say that's just a stepping stone in the path and then from there you can decide to go into criminal enterprise or or the the you know white hat side if you will and um you know at the end of the day it, it does come down to it's just about business whether you're pure criminal or in some cases i think they're you know they they see themselves as legitimate businesses they don't necessarily see anything wrong with what they do uh, culturally, you know, from different parts of the world, there are places in this world where it's perfectly okay. And just an example of that is, you know, if you're uh, either accepted um, as doing something good for the government or actually part of the government, and you're, let's say, in Russia right now, you might see that anything that you do against the U.S. is a good thing, whether it's bad or not, but you're you're advancing your nation's interests. So it's not it's not black and white like, hey, I'm hacking someone and extorting them for ransom. Um, you know, if if I'm sitting in the same country and doing that against, let's say, a healthcare organization, probably pretty black and white that that is a crime. But if you're sitting in Russia or you're in Ukraine uh, targeting uh, Russia, you know, you might not see those things as even being unethical. And so it's just an interesting environment. Those are those are, I think, the clearest cut cases. And then you got everything in between. Uh, different environments where you know culture uh, allows it or, or or even even encourages it. Um, I know years ago someone was telling you about industrial espionage in uh, in China. Uh, you know we look at it as unethical and even illegal. Um, you know this discussion or this pers- perspective was 
you know, in China, you know, you're seen as an idiot if you don't protect your stuff and the people that took it from you as, you know, smart opportunists. So if you leave your door unlocked and someone takes things, you know, let's say your car takes things out of your car, you know, the, 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 the understanding I got was that, you know, they, they think you're the idiot, not the, the person that took it that was bad and that you should be able to leave your car there. I agree with everything you say, except for the fact that the scammers that are robbing a little old lady blind of her life savings, they... I don't know why you care about those little old ladies. There's no amorality of that. That's immoral. They know it's wrong. They they live with it. They sleep with it. I don't know how they do that, especially I, I, for countries that um, value the elderly, arguably more so than we even do here. I'll tell you how they live with that. Because again... I think the fallacy here is we look at look at things through our programming, our view, our morality, if you will, and look at that and say, that's got to be wrong. Um, I'm, I'm going to use a completely different example and talk about just violent crime in Brazil, because I think it is it kind of illustrates this. Um, there are people that uh, will, you know, hijack you, hold you, hold a gun to your head and then, you know, even just decide, you know, to shoot you. Um, regularly. It happens all the time uh, in Brazil. It's, it's unfortunately very violent. I'll mention that my wife is Brazilian. Um, so, and, and I've spent time there uh, and it's just one of these things that you worry about. You're kind of like <laughs> always sort of looking over your shoulder and looking to the side and broad daylight too. But the, one of the things that comes up and, and there's a, there's a, there's a strange law in Brazil. And that is if you're under 13 years old, you can't be prosecuted for a crime. And so you have these sort of youth gangs, if you will, where there's often a a leader that's, you know, 17, 18, 19, maybe in their 20s. And then they got, you know, younger uh, gang members, if you will, that will essentially hold the gun and pull the trigger. But these are kids that have grown up on the street, grown up in the favelas that we probably see in the movies, and it looks all romantic. Um, Like this is a really, really tough life. And for many of them, they've never experienced love. They don't know what empathy is. They have no empathy. And they don't look at taking a life the way you and I do. They simply just see, this is something that I want, that you have, and and I have no other way of getting it. There's no upward mobility. There's no opportunity for them to sort of go and get work and and kind of work their way up. And no one's ever told them about that anyway. Uh, And so when they look at these things, they're looking at it very differently. Um, You see this all over the world, really, where you see this resentment between those that don't have anything and won't be able to get anything uh, and those that have it. And, and you kind of think that they think it's wrong. No, they think that's, they think it's okay. They're taking from someone that has more than they need. That's often how they view it. Um, some of these people at work, uh, maybe in these call centers that scam, you know, old, uh, you know, senior citizens and whatnot, they might not think that what they're doing is wrong. They might just say, Hey, look at what I got away with and was able to achieve. Uh, and they often think that, oh, you know, those people have so much that what does it matter if I took something from them? Um, is it right? No, but it, it's simple to see things through our eyes and, and think that, you know, they have the same morality framework when they really don't. Uh, and again, I look at Brazil and like, you know, killing someone means nothing. It's like us squashing a fly. That's how, how unempathetic uh, how lacking in, in love in their life they've, they've, they've had, you know, the, the lack of that. Uh, if you don't know what love is, man, you know, what does it matter if you, if you kill something? Uh, and, and I've seen this my entire life. 
uh, and here in the West, we love our pets, dogs, whatever. I used to live in Africa and, you know, running down a dog, kicking a dog. It was just this thing on a street. Nobody cared. I think that's changed now. Same thing in Brazil. They didn't used to have pet dogs there. They didn't yet used to have pet cats. They, they don't have a lot of pet cats, but pet dogs have been popular. And they, and they thought nothing of throwing rocks at a dog because, you know, stray dogs would come around. And it's just, it's culture. Kind of taking it back to this thing here. Cybercrime is not like crime, you know, to, to some people. It's just opportunity. So morality is on a sliding scale is what you're saying. That there is no real morality. Yeah, I wouldn't even call it a scale. I would call it there are different frameworks there that have to do with culture and, and uh, socioeconomic status that you have to take into consideration. Now, we could put all that aside and say, who cares why, right? And then say, how do we protect the stuff that we have? And kind of going back to the cyber vigilantism, like, let, let's just say that this is something you think about uh, as an individual or whatnot, want to, you know, do something about what, what would you do? So we thought a couple of things. One, talk to your leadership about it before you do anything on behalf of your company. Uh, and also, even with yourself, like, be careful about, you know, doing something like that. You know, if you are interested, you might have to start talking to your leadership, but you might also have to educate them. You might have uh, an opportunity to provide some thought leadership with your company and sort of engage and, and find out these opportunities for the, the public uh, private sector and, and kind of, you know, engage with them. This might be an opportunity for you and your organization to create some visibility into your program. So, you know, it's an opportunity. Uh, I don't know if this qualifies as a crisis, but it's kind of a similar concept. You know, never let a crisis go to, go to waste. So if you have something bad, leverage it. This is one of those things where there's a lot of attention to the topic. And if you're even if you're not engaging uh, directly, you might want to, you know, just, hey, guys, did you see this? You know, hey, in Davos, they were interested in cybersecurity. You know, why aren't we? You could definitely leverage it like that. Um, one other thought was also that this might be a pathway to develop team members. If you have talent on your team that needs to be developed, you know, there might be something that comes out of this where it's sort of like a, a playground and you send your people off to sort of play in the playground and they come back, you know, more experienced. Uh, think about the, the nurses and doctors that, you know, went to Vietnam for a year or two years and and attended a MASH unit. You know, they came back better surgeons, better nurses than anything you could ever do here uh, uh, you know, in 10 years or 15 years on the job, and they got it in, in months. Same sort of concept, you know, here, it could, you could apply that. Um, so anyway, there you have it. Uh, what can you do other than that? Um, talk about it, newsletters, um, you know, advocate for it, if you will, get engaged, there are probably going to be work groups and stuff like that, that you can jump into. So anyway, there we are. So that about wraps it up for uh, this episode of Cyber Eatable. Uh Thanks for dropping in uh, for a listen. And, uh, you know, we live in a crazy world with all sorts of booby traps. So uh, hopefully some enlightenment, some thinking about it, you know, is a, is a way to, uh, to create, a, create awareness and uh, make us all a little bit safer in the process. If you want to connect, you can find me on LinkedIn, Stieg Robdahl, and that's S-T-I-G-R-A-V-D-A-L. Uh, I'm the only Stieg Robdahl out there. There aren't many Robdahls for that matter, so I shouldn't be hard to find. So until next time, uh, be good, be safe, and don't click on that.